morning, boys and girls of all ages, uh, 1 to 101. I don't think we have any 101-year-olds here today, but if we do, congratulations. Uh, happy Thanksgiving. My name is Ed. I am one of the pastors here, and we're, we're really glad to have you. Uh, this is uh, Eric. Eric is not just here for window dressing. Eric is going to read. <laughs> Eric's going to read the scripture in just a second. But before he does, quick announcement and a brief introduction. Twenty-four-seven prayer. So Gateway Community Church is going to be praying through the month of January, seven hundred and forty-four hours. So we need a bunch of you to sign up to pray for an hour. We're going to give you some help in how to pray for an hour, and we're going to be telling you what to pray for, but you can sign up at mygateway.life, or you can sign up outside at our table. 24-7 prayer in January, and all God's people said, yeah, exactly. This past week, we celebrated Thanksgiving. Many of you were with your families. I was. It's a great time to be thankful, and sometimes, sometimes Thanksgiving helps us achieve a different perspective. It helps us to see things differently, like a I'm reminded of a, a letter I read a number of years ago. Dear Mom, sorry I haven't written sooner. My arm really has been broken. I broke it and my left leg when I jumped from the second floor of my dormitory we, when we had a fire. We were lucky. All of my stuff burned up, but a young service station attendant saw the blaze and called the fire department. They were there in minutes. I was in the ICU for several days, but I'm much better now. Paul the service station attendant came to see me every day because it was taking so long to get our dormitory livable again. I moved in with him and his roommates. They've been so nice, I must admit that I'm pregnant, but Paul and I plan to get married just as soon as he can get a divorce, even though we're not sure who the father of the baby is. I hope things are fine at home. I'm doing fine, and we'll write more when I get the chance. Love your daughter, Susie. P.S., None of the above is true, but I did get a C in sociology, and I flunked chemistry. I just wanted you to hear that in its right perspective. So... Sometimes thanks can uh, thanks can <laughs> can give us the right perspective, but often thanks is much more than just a, a perspective changer. Often thanks, at least God honoring thanks, is a is a form of radical faithfulness. Often thanks is a form of radical dependence on God because the circumstances that we're in may not suggest thanksgiving. But in radical faithfulness and radical dependence on God, we look past our circumstances, and as such, we offer thanks that is militant. And boys and girls, that means like an army advancing. It's militant, our thanks. It's part of how we wage war against those things that set themselves up against us. Giving thanks is a part of how we wage war against those things that set themselves up against us. I like what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your hearts to the Lord. Always give thanks to the God and Father of every, for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in 1 Thessalonians, we read this a couple of weeks ago. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul knew the power of gratitude, the power of giving thanks in all circumstances even as a way of combating our circumstances. So I want you to hear a test case for this. I want you to hear a beautiful illustration of how to give thanks. This is, this is in fact, corporate thanks, a whole group of people, the nation of Israel doing this together. We're going to read an Old Testament passage, often at Gateway. I have you stand out of reverence for God's Word. We will not do that today because it's a very long passage. That's why I had someone as handsome as Eric 
reading the passage for us, is 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 1 through 30. So let's follow along uh, when Eric mispronounces words, because he will. There's all those weird things in the Old Testament. You can laugh at him. Eric, uh, <laughs> 2 Chronicles 20, 1 through 30. So read this story okay. for us. This is a great story. So after this, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Munites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazian Tamar, that is in Jedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said... Oh, let me interrupt you, Eric. So get the picture. A vast army from at least three different areas, three different tribes, three different nations, is moving against uh, Israel and against Jerusalem. Jehoshaphat is the king... Uh, over Judah. So they're moving against them. Uh, the entire nation sees them and is trembling. They cannot fight this vast an army. All right? What does Jehoshaphat say, Eric? Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you, not in the, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule all, over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God did our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before the people of Israel and give it to, if forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of the judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you, in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. Okay, so another interruption. We uh, Remember our uh, several conversations we had about prayer. We're seeing a little bit of that here. Jehoshaphat is, in fact, rehearsing their history and what God has done, and he's, in effect, saying, God, you said, and then he begins to offer up this specific petition, all right? But now, here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would, you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you, have, you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Okay. If you're the kind of person who underlines things in your Bible, you underline this one. Oh God, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Okay, Eric. Okay. All the men of Judah with their wives, children, and little ones stood there before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, 
a Levite and descendant of Asaph as he stood in the assembly. Man, you killed all those names. That was, that was very impressive. All right, now we're going to get this direct word from the Lord here. So let's go old school and let's stand out of reverence for God's word as we hear what God told Jehoshaphat and the people through whatever that prophet's name was. Okay, he said... Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the vast, this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up the pass of Ziz, and you'll find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. Okay, pause for a second, Eric. Uh, I don't know if we have all boys and girls and all adults, I don't know if we have forgotten that the Bible applies to us. So Eric is going to read again, uh, starting with this is what the Lord says to you in verse 15. Got it? Okay. And when he finishes verse 15, he's going to keep reading. But we're going to say amen, because this is for us as well. Okay, Eric. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Amen. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up the pass of Ziz, and you'll find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. You may be seated. And now we're going to let Eric tell us what happened to the rest of the story. This is incredibly cool. All right. Keep reading, Eric. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from the and the Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and the people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. As they went out at the head of the army, saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and the Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. Okay, Eric, you can stop there. I'll, I'll just summarize the rest of it. Thank okay. you very much. Thank you. Good stuff. 
Um, so uh, they destroyed them. The Israelites marched into their camp, picked up the plunder, went home. All the people in all of the areas around them began to fear the Lord. Let's make some observations about their Thanksgiving activity in this encounter. And let's remember this today as we tap off our experience of Thanksgiving from this past week. Observation number one, their thanks led the way in battle. Their thanks led the way in battle. They were facing a crisis, but Jehoshaphat's first response was to seek the Lord, not strategic planning, not building up his resources. First, he inquired of the Lord, according to verse 3, and the entire nation followed him. Then as they prepared for battle, look at Jehoshaphat's plan. According to verses 20 and 21, he put the choir at the front of the army. Their thanks led the way in battle. So let's imagine this morning that uh, Arcola Methodist Church, some of you know where that is, the little church over in the community of Arcola. Let's imagine that Arcola Methodist Church and New Life Fellowship down near 28 declare war against Gateway. So I get in touch with all of you this week and I say, I want you to rally, uh, come up to Gateway. We're, we're going to do battle a, a, a vast group of ugly Christians is marching against Gateway, and so you all show up, and imagine Lance, and Lance is our drummer, imagine Lance at home, he gets this call, and he thinks, wow, uh, but he also knows that, that several of you used to serve in the military, some of you currently are active, and we've got a bunch of people in uh, high-level security jobs, and uh, a lot of you have concealed carry permits, and, and Lance is thinking, we're good to go. I mean, gate, Gateway's ready. I wonder what Ed is going to have me do. I bet I'm going to stand at the edge of the parking lot and play my drum just to inspire them as they go out and march out toward 50 to meet our Cola Methodist and New Life Fellowship. Imagine Lance's surprise when he gets here to go out to war that morning and I say, okay, I want the worship team at the front of the, the battle. But you're, Lance, you're going to lead the charge. And Lance, is, Lance says to me, am I going to kill him with rhythm? What is it? What are you doing? Uh, the, they, th their thanks led the way to face this crisis. Their thanks led in facing the crisis. Second observation, their thanks was liturgical. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. This same liturgy appears in at least four different psalms and a couple of times in the books of 1 and 2 Chronicles. Look at Psalm 118. The entire psalm of Psalm 118 is a call and response. But I want you to take note of the opening of Psalm 118. It is this same chorus, this same liturgical chorus, a liturgy of giving thanks. Now, sometimes you can get the impression if you are part of a church like Gateway, and boys and girls, if you grow up in a church like Gateway, you can get the impression that liturgy is a bad thing. It kind of feels like paint-by-numbers spirituality to some people, and it can, feel, it can feel dead. It can feel like dead religion. I, uh, we just spent Thanksgiving holidays with a, uh, 
my, Diane's family, and it's a huge group, a bunch of nieces and nephews, and we were sitting around at Thanksgiving meal, and they know I'm the religious guy, so they were sort of laughing about a couple of them, uh, this Catholic wedding that they went to recently, and they said, you know, they, they, neither of them grew up Catholic, and they said, you know, somebody should give you a script on the way in, tell you when to stand up and when to sit down and when to say what, because it's kind of hard to follow. It can feel like dead religion, like, ah, uh, you're just going uh, through rote, but liturgy is a rich source of direction, training, and guidance for us. Plus, all churches have liturgy. Our songs are a form of liturgy. We get up uh, to begin our service almost every week, and for 10 or 20 or 25 minutes, we do liturgy together. We just have to make sure that our liturgy is real and heartfelt. And we get the clear impression that in 2 Chronicles 20, 20, this liturgy was deeply heartfelt. It was deep thanks. Think of this the next time you don't know what to pray, for example. Spend some time with one of the Psalms of thanks and make that your prayer. Or Google a prayer of thanks or a liturgy of thanks and you'll get some good stuff and, and find something that expresses your heart and use that as your prayer. Their thanks was liturgical. Third observation, their thanks was current. It was rooted in the present. It was rooted in right now. Don't snooze on this. Give thanks to the Lord. His love endures, present tense, forever. They sang in the present tense, and their act of militant thanks was happening in the present and in the presence of really challenging circumstances. Verses 6 and 12b, listen to this. It says, uh, o, o Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over the nations of the, of the kingdom of power and might are in your hands. No one can withstand you. And then verse 12, the second part of verse 12. We do not know what to do right now, but our eyes are upon you right now. They weren't burying their heads in the sand. They weren't denying what was happening to them. Thanks is not, thanks is not wishful thinking. Think about that. They, now, they would do that. A couple of hundred years later, during the time of the prophet Jeremiah, two centuries later, Jeremiah the prophet would warn them, the Syrians are coming and they're going to destroy everything. And throughout Jerusalem, the people would say, no, that's not going to happen. God won't let his temple be destroyed. It was false hope. It was rooted in a daydream. The temple was destroyed and all of Jerusalem along with it. But here in 2 Chronicles 20, Jehoshaphat leads the people into a very present, very mindful, very aware act of militant praise. They were very aware of the crisis they were facing. They weren't kidding themselves. There was no false hope. And yet, they produced thanks and praise. This is interesting. I saw an uh, article somewhat recently on a study conducted by uh, a group of Harvard psychologists led by Matthew Killingsworth and Daniel Gilbert, which led to the conclusion that people who daydream more than half of their waking hours are less happy than those who are firmly rooted in the present. They summarized their findings in a journal called Science like this. A human mind is a wandering mind, don't we know? And a wandering mind is an unhappy mind. People are prone to spend about half of their time thinking about something somewhere else or doing something other than what they are doing. And this perpetual act of mind-wandering leads to unhappiness, end quote. The study tracked more than 2,200 people using an, an iPhone app, and the results were tallied. 
people answered that their minds were wondering, <coughs> were wandering about 46.9% of the time. And these times tended to be less happy times. Interestingly, the subjects reported being happiest when, when they were very present in activities like being intimate with someone or exercising or having a conversation, when they were very present. God-honoring thanks roots us in the present. God-honoring thanks. Worrying roots us in the mind-wandering future, and regret roots us in the past. But God-honoring thanks roots us in the present. So I want you to do an activity right now, if you would. Let's take a moment. Boys and girls, we're going to try to focus for just a second, and I want us all to close our eyes. We're going to do a little homework. Let's, let's, do, a, let's do some lab work. Even if you're at home, I want you to close your eyes, and for about 30 seconds, I want you to think of something in your life that you are thankful for. Be creative. Think of something that you're thankful for right now. What are you thankful for? Picture it in your mind. Gather it in your thoughts and hover over it for about 30 seconds. Now I'd like for you to think about one thing about God, what you know of God, that you're thankful for. This may be even tougher for some of us this morning. We're not really thinking about God, but let's take a moment. What, think of one thing about God that you're thankful for. And, and run that over in your mind for about 30 seconds. And now why don't you take a second and turn both of those things into praise and thanks. So turn that into a prayer and thank God right now for the thing that you're thankful for and the part of his character that you're thankful for. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we're going to cap off that Thanksgiving exercise by um, thanking him together liturgically and corporately in the present. We've still got two more observations, but as quietly as we can, let's stand together. And you're going to follow your part. Uh, when, when it says women, girls, that applies to you too. When it says men, boys, that applies to you too. Are you ready? We read everything together unless it just calls for men or unless it just calls for women. All right, here we go. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the women of Gateway say, Let the men of Gateway say, His love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His love endures forever. And all God's people said, yeah, they did. You may be seated. Observation number four, their thanks was accompanied by praise. We'll do this one quickly. Those two movements, thanks and praise, are interwoven throughout this passage and through much of the Bible. This may be because genuine thanks can't really exist without a recognition of who God is and what he's done. Thanks, by definition, focuses us beyond ourselves, and truly liberating thanks, militant thanks, thanks that takes us beyond our circumstances, thanks that frees us from our circumstances, that kind of thanks is rooted in who God is and what he's done. 
It's rooted in praise. The clear implication is if you have no connection to God, it may be harder for you to maintain an attitude of thanks. Observation number five. In 2 Chronicles 20, in this episode, their thanks was rooted in a clear word from God. Remember that? I'm going to read it again. Eric read it for us earlier. Uh, the prophet said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says, do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Their thanks was rooted in a clear word from God. As such, it was very different from just the power of positive thinking. The kind of thanks that honors God is thanks that is rooted in reality. Our God-honoring thanks is rooted in the reality of our circumstances, as we said earlier, and in God's word to us. Say that again. Our God-honoring thanks is rooted in the reality of our circumstances, and some of you are facing challenging circumstances, and in God's word to us. Sometimes our thanks is wishful thinking or pie-in-the-sky thanks. That's not God-honoring thanks. And that's not militant thanks. Let me offer a weird illustration. Uh, Florence Foster Jenkins was a soprano. She loved to sing, especially the great operatic classics. She inherited money when she was in her 50s, which funded her. She used to fund her musical career. It wasn't long before her popularity skyrocketed. She would hold annual recitals at the Ritz-Carlton in New York throughout the, the 1930s and 1940s. But as one writer put it, History agrees with hands held over its ears that, that she couldn't sing for sour apples. Jenkins' nickname behind her back was Tone Death Diva or ter the terror of the high seas. <laughs> the writer adds that if you ever hear one of her old recordings, all you'll be able to hear are squeaks, squawks, and barks. But get this, she didn't ever grasp that she was that bad. When people laughed and hooted as she sang, which they did in large numbers, she took it to be delirious enthusiasm for her great music. She thought they loved her, her and her music. And in 1944, when she was 76 years old, she did a benefit concert for the armed forces at Carnegie Hall in New York City. Thousands lined the streets to get tickets, and the performance sold out in minutes. The recording of that concert is still the third most requested album from the Carnegie Hall uh, collection, punctuated by a painful rendition of Ave Maria. <laughs> Sometimes our thanks is like the music of Florence Foster Jenkins. We're not really listening except to our own wishes. I'm so thankful I'm going to be famous one day, God. This is not rooted in reality. This is wishful daydreaming. But because the thanks of the Israelites was rooted in a clear word from God, it was based on faith, not on wishful thinking. You know, nothing had happened when they started their thanksgiving. The armies were still advancing against them. Plus, they didn't know for certain what the result of the battles would be. 
They had no idea how many of their lives would be lost. And yet, they gave thanks. And yet, they put Lance at the front of the army. Not with, not with, not with their eyes and ears closed, seeing only what they wanted to see. They gave thanks by faith, believing the word that God had spoken to them. Now, someone here has got to be saying, i got to say this before we quit. We're almost done. But someone here has got to be thinking, but I don't have a clear word from God like the Israelites did. I'm burdened about my marriage or about my children or about my parents or about my health or about my finances. The circumstances in my life don't look good, and I haven't had Jehaziel speak to me. Okay, in the face of that concern, I want to end with saying three things. Number one, we do have words from God that speak directly to our circumstances. He promises us that he will never leave us or forsake us. He promises that all the things that happen to us will, will happen for our good if we love him and follow him. He promises that nothing can separate us from him. And we can give thanks. We can give militant thanks based on those promises. Father, I'm, I'm desperate right now, but, but I thank you that I know that what I'm going through right now, what's happening in my family right now, will work for my good and for your glory because you promised it. You said, so I know it's true. Second thing, God may indeed have a more specific word for you in your current struggle. So our number one observation from earlier is, is worth remembering, right? Their, their thanks led the way in battle. In your current circumstances, let thanks lead the way. This is where the process started. Jehoshaphat did not call for a war council. He did not call for an advisory planning meeting. He did not call for a SWOT analysis of their military standing. He did not call for his ambassadors to counsel him about what went wrong in their relations with the Moabites and the Ammonites, or perhaps to advise them about possible tensions between the Moabites and Ammonites that they might be able to leverage somehow. No, he started by inquiring of the Lord, and he fasted, and he asked the nation to join him. If you don't have a specific word from the Lord, then seek the Lord. That's why we're praying in the month of January. We are in part seeking the Lord about what he wants us to do in our families and us as a church and offer militant thanks based on the promises that you do have and then wait. Third and final observation, listen again to verse 15. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army for the battle is not yours but God's. Our God is fighting for us. The battle you're facing is not yours, but his. I want to invite uh, the worship team to come back up, if they would, and we're going to wrap this up. As I was thinking about this, <clears throat> I was reminded of a, a time when I was in uh, middle school. <clears throat> Boys and girls, that, this was in the 1870s. And uh, I, was, I went to a, a, some middle school event. I, I don't I can't even remember what it was. I think it was something uh, like a band concert or something. And outside, uh, I was walking by myself. I was going to meet a, a, a bunch of buddies of mine. And three people that I didn't know, and I remember specifically one of them had an uh, umbrella. I don't know what the weather was, but I'm, you know, tooling along. I'm, uh, you know, 
in junior high. I was about six feet tall and I weighed 74 pounds. And uh, these three guys walk up and kind of surround me. And they start talking, you know, trash. I don't know why. I don't even know what had happened. So I'm doing my best to just keep walking as fast as I can. And then the one guy with the uh, uh, umbrella starts to poke me and uh, tries to trip me with both ends of the umbrella. <laughs> kind of does trip me. I stumble a little bit. Um, and I'm mortified. I don't exactly know what to do. I, I thought if I start running, that's not going to be good. Uh, and if I don't run, that, that may be worse. So I just tried my best to keep moving. Um, and uh, I'm, I really don't have a plan at all. Just move. I continue to move. And fortunately for me, you know, poking, prodding, ridiculing, I get to the edge of the building and I round the building. And there are a ton, I mean, 10 or 15 of my friends standing, we're at another middle school, standing at the front of the school, hanging out. They yell at me, and uh, I see them, and I began to make my way quickly, and now I stand in the middle of all my friends, and suddenly I realize, much greater are we than are you. So that umbrella, and all of you with that umbrella, you need to go away. I was reminded of this passage. The battle is not ours. It's his no matter what you're facing right now. I'm reminded of Jesus' best friend, John, who once said to us, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you this morning, and we praise you. You said that you would always be with us. You said that you're greater than anything we're facing. You said that no matter what we're facing, ultimately, you would make that work for our good and for your glory. So this morning we bring it to you, no matter what the burden is. We bring to you our troubles at school. We bring to you our troubles with our children or with our parents. We bring to you the trouble in our marriage. We bring to you the trouble in our finances. Lord, we bring to you our health. And you said, and so this morning, Lord, we give you thanks based on what you've said. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Knowing you're fighting for us. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said. Thank you.